warning. This episode contains discussions of suicide, depression, and hospitalization. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Mother Effer Podcast. I'm Beth. And I'm Jessie. We are two moms who are ready to stop being polite. And start getting real about this thing called motherhood. Because motherhood is no joke, y'all. So put on your big girl panties. Grab a drink. And and let's let's do do this this thing. All right, guys. Hey. Hey, Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Mother Effer Podcast. It's nice to have you here again. Thank you for listening to our first episode. What a wonderful feedback we got. It was so much fun. It was amazing. Oh, my God. People seem to really not hate us, which is great. Yeah. They thought we were funny. (laughs) I know. And, and. I, it was just surreal. Yeah, hearing really my own was. voice on a podcast. It was surreal and pretty kick ass. Yeah, yeah. I had a yeah. great time. What a fun day. Yeah, I definitely listened to it though in the morning. Um, I had to listen to it in pieces, of course, because I can't listen to anything in one full length, right? right? And so, um, my uh, six year old kept coming in, you know, in another room, and he'd hear me, you know, say "fuck" or "shit," and he'd be like, <laughs> "Mommy, <laughs> mommy, you said a bad word." Yeah, I had to tell uh, my mom that. I was like, she's like, "What's the name of your podcast again?" And I told her mother effer she's like oh yeah (laughs) i said yeah there's cursing she's like oh that's disappointing beth well that's that's, disappointing she'll still listen to it and i know she'll still laugh (laughs) that's good my mom definitely sent me um like corrections she did you need to retract on your story you need to make a little bit of an edit to your story so last week uh in our very first episode i talked about how when i was in the fourth grade my mom decided the best way to teach me about sex was to have a mother-daughter sleepover with all my girlfriends and so and their moms so we could all learn about sex together it Um, was humiliating it was humiliating and there were books and illustrations and uh, i was the center boner on the dive board yeah it was just humiliating so um but you know of course now looking back I'm like that was a pretty awesome way to to broach this subject but you know right hindsight in the time it was not fun no so my mom actually told me that um after she listened to the podcast which she loved by the way she thought it was awesome but she said that she, the reason she had done that mother-daughter sleepover um, so we could all talk about sex together was because a girlfriend of mine, her mom was no longer in the picture, and she just lived with her dad, and he had no idea how to talk to her about any of this stuff, um, you know, so she thought, well, you know, so she's not singled out, and so she'll feel like she has a mom to talk to about this stuff. We'll just all get together and do it mm-hmm. as a big group, so... When I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm an asshole. I feel like the worst person ever. (laughs) When you told me that, I was like, oh, I'm going to cry. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) It was so sweet. A little bit. So, yeah, it was really sweet. But, of course, when you're in the fourth grade, you don't see all the shit that goes on behind the scenes with your parents. You know? So, all you see is what's in front of you. And you're so self-centered at that age, which you're supposed to be. You know? I think it's just natural for kids. still pretty narcissistic in the fourth grade. I think so. Yeah. So, uh, yes, a little correction there. I wanted to <laughs> emphasize that my mother didn't do it just to humiliate me. She was she was trying to reach out to one of my girlfriends. So, yes, I wanted to make that little note. That's good. I have one retraction, and it is <laughs> it is from my friends. I was them listening to the podcast was probably something that made me the most nervous. Yeah, because they're not going to sugarcoat anything for me. Yeah, that's great. And so when they started saying, "Well, I have a, I have one comment, I have one feedback, I have this to say," yeah, my friend Phil, yeah, shout out to Phil, hey, um, said Beth, you're not from Seattle, and you need to make that clear. <laughs> 
I am going to state yeah. I grew up in Richmond. I actually was born in New York, moved to Virginia when I was seven. Okay. Lived in Roanoke for a year, moved to Richmond, spent most of my life in Richmond. Okay. And then after graduating from college, I moved to Seattle. Oh. And how long were you in Seattle for? Uh, well, we moved back to Charlotte for like a, two years mm-hmm. and then back to Seattle. I was in Seattle for almost 10 years. Okay. All right. That's where I had three out of four kids. Yeah. So you, and, you do feel like that that's right. one of the places that you're from. I it, For re- for sure. Yeah, and those yeah. are, that's kind of where my people are. Like yeah, Pearl yeah. Jam is my favorite band. I know. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, but I moved to Charlotte in 2000, let's see, nine. Okay. Okay. And have been in the area since then. So but do you, do you consider yourself from the South? Like, do you consider Virginia the South? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the capital of the Confederacy. Well, yes, I know, but some people, <laughs> you know, the line is blurry for some people of what, like, the true South, South is and what well, the Well, it's South a little is, bit less and, of the know. South now. I think uh, my friends, the ones that told me not to lie about where I'm from, <laughs> were born and raised in Virginia uh-huh. and have their own views on, and, you know, the, the statues coming down and everything. Yeah, and they're, sure. Social justice warrior that's like, who gives a crap? It's just metal on a pedestal. doesn't matter. Right. And they're like, it's the principle of it. Oh, and I'm like, whatever. We can't talk about this stuff. But um, yes, girl. Yes. They are the best. And they are definitely Southern. But I think. Because I would never. I mean, I would say neither of us really have Southern accents. No, I don't know if no. I do. I can't hear it if I do. <laughs> when I lived in Seattle, they thought I did. Yes, yes. Every time I go to New York, I hear that as well from, yeah. from my friends my and family. My cousins in New York also say. Yeah. Because I, I guess I've picked up a few things. Yeah, me too. Like y'all. Yeah, y'all and it's pouring pour the rain and just <laughs> stupid stuff like that. But Bless when, your heart. Yeah, but when I've had a drink, I sound like I'm from Long Island. So it just depends on the mood. Okay, there you go. I just kind of bring it out wherever I'm from. I can be from anywhere, but right now I'm just from here. Okay. Well, little corrections. South Carolina. Yeah, little corrections. All right, guys. We're never afraid to be corrected. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so tell me about your week, Beth. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story about my Friday night. Yes, I've been waiting to hear this. I bought tickets to see a band called DiCarlo. Okay. DiCarlo is a band made up of a lead singer for Boston, the current lead singer for Boston. Okay. And his kids and his kids' friends. Okay. All right? Okay. It's this old man. Yeah. Lead singing. Yeah. Sounding just like the regular lead singer of Boston who's dead. Okay. And his kids, who are all Native American and beautiful. Like long black hair, boys and girls. Long black hair. Nice. Rock and roll. Yeah. The girl was amazing. They played Sticks. They played Boston. They played... Guns and Roses. They played everything you could possibly want to hear. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Of course, I haven't been anywhere. We talked about this last yeah, time. Yeah. I had my reservations about going because I knew where I was going to go see them was where people go where, you know, uh, don't wear masks and stuff. Like, oh, I, I knew okay. I was taking sure. my life into my own hands sure. by going yeah. to this concert. Okay. But I was also, I also knew there were tickets sold and it wasn't going to be overcrowded. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Plus... You know, caveat, I do smoke, so I was outside a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I went. Hey, no judgment, Beth. Knowing right? nobody. No. My neighbor invited me, said, show up. Nice. Okay. Me and like six other people are going to be there that I don't know. So I got ready. Yeah. I showed up. I saw your she Instagram video of your singing. He and- did not show up. No! <laughs> <laughs> so it was me and two men I've never met in my entire life, one of which oh, lives in my neighborhood. Okay. 
But then my whole other neighbors, my neighbors from my old neighborhood were all there. So it was really? like, I was like this celebrity That's because they were all just like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and so I was just bouncing around at tables. It was like seeing Boston at a wedding reception. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I go outside and man, I'm going to smoke. And when, I don't know, if you're a smoker, you get it. Sometimes maybe you will anyway. You just make friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm outside, and I have this old lady come up to me with a $5 bill. I felt like I was in college. She's like, oh. can, I buy, can I buy a few smokes off you? Oh, no. And I was like, no, honey, you can just have some. Yeah. Like, right, right, right. I don't right. want your money. She still <laughs> threw it at me. Like, I'm going <laughs> to give it to you anyway. And I met this girl, Nicole. Uh-huh. Nicole, shout out to Nicole, who's going to yeah. listen. Okay. And um, we were all just gaggling, girls hanging out, and yeah. this man walked up to our table. Okay. Uh-oh. And I didn't know who he was. Yeah. But I like to make up names. Okay. Yeah, so I was sure. like, hey, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, Daryl, how you doing? And he looked at me, and Nicole's like, oh, it's nice to meet you, Daryl. And <laughs> that's hilarious. And he's like, he went with it. Yeah. Okay. And I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, his name isn't Daryl. Like, yeah. I have no idea who this person is. <laughs> It turns out, like, he knew the owner, and he got me a bunch of drinks, and... Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, all right. So, and, you know... Daryl, go Daryl. His real name is Andrew, but I never got, like, his last name, and never... I owe him, like, three or four beers, so... Daryl, all right. Daryl, if you're listening, Andrew, let me me know. know. It's kind of like misconnections. (laughs) Right, yes, misconnections. Are you the guy from the concert, Daryl? Are you Daryl? Did you see DiCarlo at the TKK Shore Club? Did you meet someone that named you Daryl and just couldn't stop calling? Like, I called him that all night. Of course you did. Yeah, of course. Of course. So you had a good time. Oh, I had the best time. And then, of course, I get home and I'm like, and now I probably have coronavirus. But. (laughs) And you? I don't. It's just like. And the kids were with Rob, too. So you had, like, the weekend I'm by myself. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so, yeah, yesterday I woke up and I went and got my car because I could not drive myself home. That's good. So I got a ride home. Good. I got my car and did a bunch of stuff and. Yes. It was a great night, but... Good. Okay, good. It sounds Daryl amazing. Was, yeah. I made like 16 friends. It was great. Oh, I'll never see any that. of them again. Yeah, but that's so much fun, though. <laughs> I love going out like that. I miss going out like I, that. I, I I wanted it to be... I wanted to go again. Like, Saturday, yeah. I was like, oh, I wish this was happening again. I just yeah. miss being out in the live too. music. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I'm that way, too. I love to go out and socialize and meet new people. And especially if I've had a couple drinks in me, I really started losing up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and these guys that I met from my neighborhood, they were yeah. older. Yeah. And so when they start playing sticks, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, right. And he's like, I saw them in real life. And I'm like, well, then why aren't you dancing? Like, what? why aren't you enjoying this? Yeah. You're just sitting there listening. How can you sit still? Oh, is he too cool? I don't know. Like one of those. Maybe he was trying to impress me. I don't know. But I'm impressed by people that can't sit still while they listen to sticks. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're out. Like, that's the whole point. Like, enjoy yourself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was so fun. But you're feeling good. I am. I'm feeling good. You know, good. the weekend went by fast as yeah. usual. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So I was trying to think of a good story because, you know, I'm <laughs> home all week with the kids. And so I'm like, <laughs> was something interesting that happened to me that, you know, that I can talk about in the podcast. And um, I am trying to think of something that is wildly amusing or entertaining. And I'm just kind of coming up with this um, roadblock at the moment. Yeah, but so. the thing is, Jesse, this episode is all about you. So <sighs> I really don't yeah. think you need to come up with okay. an extra story. 
That's good. When okay. we are going to be getting to know you That's on a good. more personal level. Okay, because then I don't feel so much pressure. We are going through a lot right now. We're, we just sold our house, and we're trying desperately to buy a new one. And for those of you out there who are in the real estate um, market like we are right now, it's insane insane. People are buying things way, way over asking in cash before they even see it. So we are just desperately trying to find a place to move because we have to be at our house at the end of April. And so it's been a stressful week. And so, um, so yeah, we're just going through a lot. So I feel like everything else has been tabled in my life because we are just trying to focus on making sure that we're not homeless in a couple months here. So you will be homeless, I promise. Well, thank you for offering me to let me live with you. you I can. will then. Yes. Whatever. What's another yeah. six people? We'll find we'll find rank on the kids somewhere else to stay and all this comes Oh, okay. You. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. That, that, that works great. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So then so today, let's get to know Jessie a little better. She is a mother of four, three boys yep. and a girl. Yep. And uh how long have you been married? Gosh, so Ranko and I met when I was 17. What? He was 19. Yep. So Ooh. we were babies. Um, Ranko was his in his freshman year at community college. I was in my senior year of high school. I was actually... Scandalous. Oh, you know. Well, <laughs> and he... Um, I was sort of very casually dating one of his best friends when oh we my met. God. Yeah. So that's how we met was through this best friend of his who he wanted me to come over and meet all his friends and one of his friends ended up being Ranko. <laughs> Bad idea, yeah. old boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> old boyfriend ended up marrying a girl named Jesse though. So that's super weird. <laughs> yeah. I know a guy that I used to date that named one of his his daughter Beth. Which yeah, right. When it's, I found that out, I'm like, yeah. have a nice life. <laughs> <laughs> Pine much? Pine much? Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So we we we've been together since I was 17. So that was eight, 17 years ago, almost 18. And then we got married four years later in 2007. So how many years is that? I don't know. I'm not good at math. I'm really bad. 14 years. Yeah. So we've been married 14 years. Long time. Now I look at kids who are like 17 and I'm like, you're a baby. Don't get married. It's a stupid idea. <laughs> you're a baby. What, what are you, you doing? We just think they know what's up. We yeah. do. We do. We think we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen in our lives. We know yeah. what's good for us. Yeah. And it's not, never the case. No, I was married at 21. Not that you, but I mean, you are still married. So let's yeah. not make it sound like it was a horrible decision. No, it was amazing. You just, I mean, I felt like a the time it was just right and you know it's a struggle marriage is not easy but we choose each other every day and he's I like that. yeah so and he's still my best friend so and you have four children like i said yes um one of the topics so i was going to ask all of these fluffy questions okay but I, I you and i both know what people want to hear about yes you've mentioned it on facebook a few times you've written about it in magazines you have had an actual mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yep. And am I right in saying that it is motherhood related? Yeah. I always call it my maternal mental breakdown. Okay. It's very maternal specific. I would so say. Set, set the scene. Where? What year is it and what's happening? So this was 2016. You have three kids at the time? Yep. I had three. Three boys. Jack. Uh, let's see. So I have to go from youngest to oldest because I'm like, how, how old were they at the time? So Lucas was two and a half. So Ben was five. Jack was seven. So, um, so I had, I guess I should preface this by saying that I had spent a lot of years trying to, um, become this idea of what I thought I should be in terms of my career. Right. So like, you know, so like, 
Um, when I was in college and decided I wanted to be a journalist, I was going to be this social justice warrior, you know, writing the wrongs with my pen and paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, be an investigative journalist. And, and I just had all these very naive ideas about what I wanted to do and, and not a clue in the world how I was going to do it. But I um, had spent a lot of years just trying to chase this idea of what I thought I wanted to be. And it never seemed to work out. I was... I was at the Charlotte Observer for a few years um, as a print journalist, and then I was on um, air with uh, the local Fox station here for a few years, and it just seemed like every time I tried to pivot in my career, I ended up getting pregnant. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, how that works out. Yeah, every single fucking time. Um, <laughs> you know, I was at the Observer and I had one kid. I had Jack when I was at the Observer. And then I was um, in line for a promotion and got pregnant with Ben mm-hmm. and decided to stay home for a little while after I had had him. And then with Lucas, I had just gotten the on-air position and found out the same week that I was pregnant with Lucas. And so, um, and then I was on bed rest for 10 weeks with him. We went into early labor and then he was born with this incredibly rare disease and was very sick. And so I put my whole career on hold because he needed a lot of attention. So I had spent um, really like the past seven years trying to achieve what I thought were these really important goals in journalism, make a name for myself, find some kind of um, recognition, right? And and some sort of, I don't know, I guess I just wanted to be famous, you know, and be well-liked and well-known and known for Who my, like... I doesn't want to be famous, though? Like, But not, I wanted to be known for, like, my intellect and my, you know, my... Breaking story news and, like, right. yes. shining a light on poverty and the ills of the world yeah. Yeah. and making a difference. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and then I also too, you know, wanted to be this incredible mom and I wanted to be very present with my kids and I wanted to, you know, be at all the parent teacher meetings and I wanted to attend all the school plays and I wanted to attend all the soccer games and I wanted to be very present in their lives. And especially when I was on air, I was working 13, 14 hour days. And so, yeah, it was insane. Um, I mean, a lot of on air journalists can attest to this now. You're a one man band. You're shooting your own stuff. You're editing your own stuff. You're writing your own scripts. You're producing. You're, I mean, you are doing a very big portion of the job. Um, so when I left, I was really focused on just being a mom um, and then decided that – and I really don't even know why I decided I want to go back to work. Um, Lucas was two and a half. Things were kind of settling with him a little bit in terms of his medical needs. And so um, I guess – I just decided I was ready to go back, and so... I feel like there are some moms, and there's nothing wrong with it either. We're mothers always 120% of the time. Yeah. But I know that I enjoy this, too. I'm another person. I'm someone else besides a mother, and I need to rediscover that every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Because we are. We're more than... We're much more than that. We are, for sure. But then it's also the mom guilt thing of, like, when I'm at work and I'm dedicated to that and I'm thinking about that all the time, it's Mm -hmm. like I feel terrible because I'm not giving that to my kids, you know. And Jack used to write these notes for me when he was only five years old that would say, Mommy, no work, you know. And, like, yeah, and it broke my heart, you know, that he was just, like, he was dying for me to be home, you know. And, yeah, it killed me. And so – um. So, yeah, Jack was seven, Ben was five, Lucas was about two and a half. 
And I decided that I wanted to go back to work, so I applied for this job with a company. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but it was a very large global corporation that basically um, puts together like networking groups for small businesses mm-hmm. in various cities around the world. So they had just moved their headquarters to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And the position that I was hired for, I think, was really um, nondescript. Like, they didn't really have a great idea of what they exactly needed me to do. But it had something to do, basically, with um, marketing and branding around the founder of the company. And so... He had um, he had been the owner, the sole owner, and then restructured the business, moved the headquarters to Charlotte, and his role had now really transitioned into a founder's role and more of a figurehead role. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of wanted me to help him navigate that and help market him, basically be a, like a brand ambassador for him, a brand manager for him. Um, but I had no marketing skills whatsoever. But I was like, you know, I can just figure this out, right? Like, how hard can yeah. it be? And without a clue or any preparation into what I really needed to do. Um, and so I was hired. I, <laughs> well, my, there you go. You were hired. It didn't matter. You were able to market your way right in there. So, well, the interview, the final interview when I was when I was interviewing for this position was with the founder, right? And so, obviously, if he's going to be working one-on-one with somebody very closely, he needs to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. So... I had Lucas at home with me. Um, he's two and a half, so developmentally, like a year, really. Um, he he has severe developmental delays. So I am all dressed up. It's a Zoom interview because he's not in North Carolina, so it's a Zoom interview. I've got Lucas running around me, making noises, going crazy. I'm all dressed up. And he actually said ultimately he decided to hire me because even though all that was happening around me, I was able to be totally present with him and, and sound intelligent and have, you know, thoughtful conversation and not let that distract me, mm-hmm. you know. So um, so I guess it worked out in my benefit, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I was hired. The woman who hired me, uh, my manager, was amazing. She was so ready to be my mentor. She was so ready to um, help me learn and figure this job out and really help me carve out what it was going to be. And they had ju- they were restructuring. They had just moved their headquarters. There was a lot of things up in there, a lot of moving pieces. And mm-hmm. so, but she was really ready to mentor me. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've got this fantastic global position. You know, I'm, I bought all these new, you know, boss bitch outfits, right? You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, like these high-rise marketing executive, you know, heels and oh, pencil yes. skirts. And, you know, I got my hair done and my nails done. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, rock this corporate job, right? And, um, again, all these stupid ideals in my head, I feel like, about what it was supposed to be and um, just on the outside and, um, you know, was trying to emulate what I was seeing, especially on Instagram, you know, where all these mother influencers seemed like they were completely slaying the boardroom in their Manolos, right, in their mm-hmm. pencil skirts and their Burberry trench coats and just looking fabulous, but then also able to also go home and slay at home with their kids. Right. Make dinner. Right. Play. Right. Their houses all look like it was, you know, modeled after, like, yeah, but, West Elm, and their kitchens were always but, perfect, and their kids were always you know, dressed on trend and, um, you know, it was just... But you knew that these women also had help because they were boss bitches in a boardroom. I mean, if I were making that much money hand over fist, of course I would hire somebody to fucking help me. Like, that makes sense. (laughs) Like, so, pragmatically, 
it makes sense. But I emotionally, I wasn't seeing that no. at all, right? And I was only seeing what they were presenting to me, which, you know? Which so, is the problem with social media. Right, yes. exactly. And so I was really feeding into this very, like, um, this motherhood influencer, working mom, you know, um, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it. I wanted to emulate that. I wanted what I was seeing. And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, first I've got the job. Check. I've got the wardrobe. Check. You know? All right. So let's keep going. And so um, I spent six months trying to achieve that in any way possible. Um, you know, just spending money hand over fist on redecorating our house and, you know, um, really trying to just take a lot of pictures and stage things and, you know, do really well at work and really amazing at home. And I was a community organizer for the LGBT community. I was doing a lot there, um, doing a lot of like, um, gala emceeing and volunteer work. And I was, you know, with my kids all the time doing things constantly, whatever their needs were, I was there a hundred percent, you know, especially with Lucas, um, you know, trying to be a present wife, trying to be there for my husband, trying to maintain our relationship, trying to be a great friend, you know. I'm having, I like, I can see where this is headed. Yeah. <laughs> so all of that was actually, I was balancing it okay until my manager left. Her husband got a new job and she moved away. And the new manager that they hired hated me. And I, I often have, um, I clash with this very specific kind of woman. They're very, um, type A corporate. Um, they kind of cut their teeth in that corporate world where they had to step on other women to get ahead. Um, and she did not like me. And she made that very clear. She would berate me openly in front of my, um, teammates. She, um, she was constantly putting me down. She was constantly questioning what I was doing. Um, and when she would question me, she'd always look at me like I was a complete idiot. Um, you know, and, inst- and, and, and honestly, I had no <laughs> formal education in marketing whatsoever. Um, and I needed guidance, but instead it was just beratement and torment and negativity. And, um, you know, she would get together with my other two teammates and they would be laughing and joking. And then I would just be kind of sitting on the outside looking in, you know, and it's, Oh, I've been there. It sucks, man. And it wears you down. And if you're, so I'm a people pleaser. You've got to know that about me. (laughs) I fucking hate that about myself. I fucking hate it. I wish that it was like, I wish that I just didn't give a shit, (laughs) but I do. And I hate it. And I felt like every single day I was waking up and I was failing every day. So, you know, I was failing at work because I wasn't getting something right or I wasn't being proactive or I wasn't, you know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't accomplishing this task correctly or, you know, I was misstepping. No, not at all. And then, um, you know, I was failing at home because, you know, I was so exhausted from work and I was so stressed out about work that I wasn't there for my kids and I was getting really angry and really short with them and really frustrated. And, you know, the whole novelty of like getting dressed up for work every day had worn off, you know, and like, you know, working in this corporate environment, the whole novelty had worn off. And it was like every single day I just came to work and was scared that what is she going to do to me today? How is she going to treat me today? You know, and then also not being able to volunteer as much in the community, not feeling like I wasn't there for my husband, feeling like I never talked to my friends anymore. I wasn't there for their needs. So I just felt like every single day I was waking up and somehow failing at life somehow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was a lot of just like self-deprecation and loathing, very deep self-loathing. And so I, this was like six months into the job in September. And I 
woke up and there wasn't anything particular. I, I didn't wake up and feel like today's the day I'm going to lose my shit. You know, like it's, uh, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> right. like it wasn't, um, I can't, you know, really like there's not an accurate way to describe how I woke up except just kind of I woke up and felt really numb, really mm-hmm. done with everything. I was exhausted. And I um, I remember waking up. I remember Ranko taking Lucas to daycare and himself to work in the morning. So I was responsible for getting Jack and Ben to school. So I would have to drive 30 minutes into the middle of the city to get them to school and then 30 minutes back out to the corporate park. And so... We always had to leave a little bit early, trying to get myself ready, trying to get the kids ready, trying to make sure their lunches are packed, trying to make sure that they have everything they need, that they're dressed, that they have their permission slips, you know, all the things they need before school, trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, and the day before my manager had just given me a formal job warning. So. Oh my God. Yeah. So of course my anxiety is an absolute overdrive. You don't want to go to work. No, not at all. My depression had just compounded and compounded. And so I um, just, God, the kids were moving at a snail's pace. It was just like they could not have gone slower. They were just did not want to go to school. They were just moving so slowly. And I was just like, come on, let's go, let's go. Come on, get your, you know, starting to yell at them and starting to scream at them and started cursing at them and was just like losing my yep. shit on my little babies. They were five and seven, just like completely just screaming at them and so angry and so and I could just feel my whole body like shake and like my tension I could feel it like coming out of my pores and I'm screaming and they're crying because mommy's screaming at them and I'm this horrible human being who's screaming at my tiny babies and they're we end up getting in the van and I'm driving them to school and I'm still screaming and yelling and they're still crying and um finally I we get to school and I'm like, I throw my sunglasses on so nobody can see my face. And I tell the boys, you know, you need to stop crying because if somebody sees you crying, they're going to call me and they're, you know, they're going to be really mad at mommy. And <laughs> yeah. So of course I'm feeling like an even more of a fuck up because who tells their kids to stop crying because you made them cry? Like what kind of person does that? And so I don't I'm, think you're the only mom that's done that. <sighs> I'm not, I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. Stop crying. I say that all the time. I'll yell at them, and it's like, mm-mm, stop crying. <laughs> it was when they're so little. They were only five and seven. It just felt like I felt like a monster. And so I dropped them off, and um, they got out of the car. And, of course, they're both trying really hard to stop crying, which is like the worst mm-hmm. face in the whole world. Yeah. To see your kid trying really hard not to cry because they're trying to listen to what you've told them. And it's heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. And then I was on on the interstate, just completely just bawling, heaving, and thought, well, if I just turn my wheel to the left, I'll hit oncoming traffic. And then I won't have to fail everybody anymore, and I won't have to do this anymore, and I won't have to, you know, just be this complete fuck-up, and my kids won't have to deal with this horrible mommy who's angry and sad all the time, and... The only reason I didn't do it is because I didn't want to hurt somebody else, yeah. you know. So I thought I could never just – I could never hurt somebody else in trying to hurt myself. So I somehow made it to work. Very blurry stepping onto the elevator 
going up to the whatever floor it was, getting to my desk. And when I got to my desk, I kind of curled up in my chair and I turned to the corner of my cubicle and kind of just, I don't know, like created like this, I was like a little ball in my Mm -hmm. chair. And I texted my pastor. So I um, go to a really progressive church here in Charlotte called Mission Gathering Charlotte. Um, It's a very inclusive, LGBT-friendly church. Um, Just, I feel like I always have to preface that because people are like, church, ew. You know? So, like, (laughs) (laughs) so, like, um, so our pastor, Richard Rich, Pastor Rich, had been very open about his own depression and suicide attempts in sermons. So I felt like I could reach out to him. So I sent him a text message and I said, 911, please call me. And he did immediately. It was like within within a minute he had called me. And he was at this big festival and he had stopped what he was doing to call me, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And he – I. Immediately, as soon as he picked up the phone, I again started just like heaving and bawling and and managed to make it into a conference room where I thought I'd have some privacy and was just overwhelmed with grief and darkness and just like, I can't do this anymore. I just don't want to live anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I can't do this. I can't be a mom. I can't be, you know, in this job anymore. I can't fail. I'm failing everybody all the time, every day. And I just can't. And I'm just crying and crying and crying and Um, I kind of go into this like weird fog state where I'm crying and crying and crying and I can't stop. And then I walk out of the building and I walk down the road to this really, really busy street right outside of the corporate park. And I'm on the phone with Rich and he's telling me like, you know, don't do anything. Think about your boys, you know, trying to trying to talk me down and I am standing next to this this very very busy road where cars are flying past me and I can you know feel the cars like whipping by and like brushing back my hair and the wind against my face and I could hear the engines and I could hear the tires moving and it was weird it's like this weird it's so hard to explain it's like I could hear all the individual sounds of the world around me Mm -hmm. and I wasn't inside myself and I could hear rich, but I wasn't hearing his words. And I really just wanted to step out in front of a car and just end it. I just was so, I mean, I was there, man. I was right there and ready just to, just to be done. And he said something that kind of woke me up. He said, think about your boys, Jesse. He said, picture them in your mind right now. And so I did, and I could see my little babies, and I could feel them hugging me, and I could, you know, I could just tell, I could hear them telling me that they loved me, and that, you know, I remember them being born, and it was like this, like, flash of, like. Mm -hmm. Of your life. Yeah. With my kids, and I. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm crying too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't really talked about this very much outside of therapy, so it's <laughs> it's a little much. So I'm um, I can just feel their arms around me, and I can hear their little voices, and um, it just stopped me from from doing something that I knew I could never take back, and so. I just had their little voices in my head and 
I kind of it kind of woke me up, and I um <clears throat> I stumbled back. It was like I was in a dream or something, and I woke up and I stumbled back off of the off of the road, and I fell backward into this like green grassy knoll that was on the side of the road, and um kind of just was shaking my head and and crying and just. I just, I didn't know what I had almost just done. And I, God, my mind is just racing at this point. And my pastor's like, just get in your car and just go home. And I still was, I mean, I was still wearing my purse from when I had gone upstairs. So I, at this point, I'm in like, I had no more tears to cry. I was completely drained out. And I'm sitting there in the grass and I'm thinking about what I almost just did. And then my mind just goes totally blank. It was like total numbness. And I was just like moving automatically, but I wasn't thinking about it. And my pastor was like, get in your car and go home. I didn't tell anybody at work that I was leaving. I just left Mm -hmm. and just. Nobody at work needs to know. Fuck them, man. And I swear to God. And so I um, got in my van and it was like just like I was a zombie just just driving, but I wasn't aware of what's happening around me. It was just very automatic. Right. And so I got home and, um, you know, the pastor, my pastor had called Ranko to let him know what had happened. And so Ranko came home and the next day, my best girlfriend, Caroline came over to the house. She didn't have any kids. So I knew that I could call her and she could be there for me and not be worrying about, like, okay, who's got my kids? Who's watching mm-hmm. my kids? So I called her, and she came over, and we decided that I needed to go to the mental health ER um, because I was still having suicidal ideations, and I was still just, like, I mean, just like a – really, like, I hate to keep using that word, but it was like I was a zombie. Like, you could talk to me, and I was completely dead-faced, just, mm-hmm. like – non-reactive, not, not there. And you were just like a, your primal self, you were existing. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, Caroline took me to the mental health, healthy R she drove and, um, we pulled up and it's, um, this brick building and you walk into the reception. It's really well lit. There's lots of natural light. The receptionist is really kind and, you know, you have to fill out this paperwork. And and I wasn't even thinking this, but as soon as you sign off that you've had suicidal ideations. Oh, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get in there. Uh-huh. So that's what I did. I was very honest. And I had I had to be because I didn't know what else to do at that point. And so I'd always suffered with anxiety and depression my whole life. So, and it had just been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And so then when I had all these, this compounded anxiety and stress, and then that breaking point, I didn't know what to do or how to handle it. So I, I was just really honest, you know, mm-hmm. and they, you know, you check that box. And so then the doors open and you go in the back and it is like, it's like American Horror Story back there. Caroline came with me. If I can say anything about Caroline, man, she is tiny, but she is tough as shit. And you don't mess with her. And she was not about to leave me at all. And so she walked into the back with me, and the double doors are locked. So when they open, it's kind of like, you know, you know. 
And then you go in the back and it's like really old, dingy floors, dirty walls, really bad lighting that's kind of flickering. Oh my God. Yeah. There are people like moaning and people like drooling in the corners and like totally just drugged out. So it's like, it's scary. And I'm like, oh fuck, am I going to be here? Like, I can't, am I going to be committed to this place? And I start having a panic attack. I would have too, yes. And so Caroline helps me to calm down. And they take me, an orderly takes me into the back. They have to strip search you, which is a new kind of humiliation. Like, if you already didn't feel like a human being, they completely dehumanize you when they do that. You have to take off your bra because it's got underwire, because your underwire can be used as a weapon or to hurt yourself. So you have to take off your bra. They put you in these very, like, very cardboard, stiff um, scrubs, like brown, really stiff scrubs. And then you wait. You just sit there and you wait. And I had to wait for five or six hours to see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So Caroline waited with me. She was not going anywhere. And she sat with me the whole time and held my hand. And, um... Meanwhile, we're watching as, you know, the orderlies make fun of the patients and, you know, people are, you know, just like, you know, dead eye down the hall and, you know, it's just it's talking to themselves and it was really scary. So finally I get in to see the doctor and she keeps trying to convince me that I'm hearing voices. What? Yeah. She said, well, she had me walk her through what happened, which I did. And she asked me if I had thoughts of harming myself or others. And I said, I did, of harming myself. And then she was like, well, do you ever hear voices? Like, you know, somebody may be calling you from the corner, like, Jesse. And I was like, no, no, I've never, no, that's not what this is. And she's like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. But she put me on an antipsychotic. And... I uh, don't really remember. The Do you next... think she did that because you had a hard time remembering a lot of what happened? Like you had a lot of space. I don't know. Not blackouts, but where just you were on autopilot. I think they do it because that's what they do for everybody who comes oh. through those doors. Okay. Makes you easier to manage, you know? And I, cause I was really hostile when she asked me that. I was like, <laughs> no, you know? <laughs> She's like, we got a live one. Right. Exactly. We got a live one. I do remember when visiting hours were over and they made Caroline leave. Oh, God. And Caroline did not want to leave. Okay. And Caroline's a badass reporter. Caroline walked from Charlotte to Raleigh with a group of students who are protesting. Caroline has traveled to, you know, third world countries. She's a badass. Don't mess with fucking Caroline. And she was not about to leave. They had to force her to leave. And I remember her as she's walking away, like, Jesse, it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to get Renko. It's okay. You know, and hearing her say this as they're forcing her to leave me. And then the terror really sinking in. I'm all alone. How am I going to get out of here? Am I trapped here? When am I going to see Renko again? When am I going to see my kids again? And feeling very, so I've never done drugs ever. Never smoked pot, never done drugs. It's just not for me. It's just, it's just who I am. That's probably the closest I've ever felt to being, like, on acid or something. Like, And this is after they've given you the antipsychotic? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just crazy, loopy, just, I mean, it was nuts, this feeling. Uh, the next thing I remember, because it's a very blurred time after those drugs kicked in, I'm downstairs in a room 
by myself. It's dark. I'm sitting on this cot that's like got plastic wrap around. Ugh, yeah. You know? So every time you move, it's like crunch, right. crunch. Not really sure how I'd gotten down there or what had happened. And the doctor came in and she was like, you're really lucky. Because a bed has opened up in Davidson and we're able to transfer you there. So Davidson. You're like, great, I'm so lucky. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're so lucky. I just remember her saying that. You're really so not lucky. Feeling it. So, yeah, so not at all. So she came in and told me this and I'm, I'm not sure where that is or where I'm even going or how am I going to tell Ranko if I'm not here or how is he going to find me? Mm. <laughs> and he had just changed his phone number and I did not have it memorized yet. And so I was fucking scared shitless because I had no way of getting in touch with him. All my fucking phone numbers are in my phone, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't, you don't have that. And so I'm sitting in this room and it was way late. I didn't even know what time it was. Davidson had just opened up this new mental health facility. It was brand new in Davidson. And she was rambling on and on and on about it. And, you know, I wasn't really listening. And, you know, I just didn't want to be there, you know. But at the same time, I'm terrified to leave because that's the last place Ranko knew where I was, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden, like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest type situation, you know. (laughs) You're waiting for Jack Nicholson to show up. Nurse Ratchet, you know, like, (laughs) totally terrified. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm um, hungry. And I'm cold and I'm shaking because of the meds. And I'm I'm ushered out of the room into the waiting room where, ironically, they're playing Silver Linings Playbook, which is about a man with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, this is super inappropriate. You know, like, I'm going to make a mental thing. note of this. Right. This is not okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, sitting in on this chair that's like, you know, the, like, faux leather that's got a big rip through the bottom of it. And, you know, these two orderlies sitting behind this thick plexiglass, you know, where they're shooting the shit and not really paying attention yeah, to you at all. And they're probably enormous. Right. No, I, I, honestly, I don't even remember. They just, yeah. So I, I was sitting there and then fell asleep in that chair because I was afraid to go back to that room because I didn't want to be forgotten there. Which is silly, but I just thought I would be forgotten back there in that little room in the darkness. And um, so I'm... God, I don't even remember what time it was. It was the middle of the night. And I'd fallen asleep in this chair. And they wake me up. And, you know, it's kind of like when you wake up and, you know, it's like, is this real? And then suddenly you're like, where am I? What had happened? Mm-hmm. Especially after having those hard drugs. It's like my mind was just completely mind fucked, you know? Yeah. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, okay, what's happening? And they're like, your, your transportation is here. And so... It was this, um, looks like a taxi cab. Right. But it had um, really thick plexi between you and the driver. So it was like a cop car. I think it was like a specific like mental health transportation vehicle. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it wasn't like a cop. It was a woman who was driving. Um, Not that women can't be cops. No, 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 no. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Not at all. No, no, no. All of a sudden I'm picturing this male cop, you know, in a cop car. No. Um, it was like a female woman and like. Street like clothing, okay. you know, and so, so like mental health Uber. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yes, <laughs> except they're not allowed to talk to you. <laughs> Even better, and it's way and more expensive. Right? I mean, I don't know. It might be worth it. It's way more expensive. <laughs> and so, so they 
they open up the door and the back of the cab is very tight and I'm claustrophobic. Oh God. And they close the door and it locks. You cannot open it and you cannot roll down the windows. And she had the heat on. So it's hot. And I'm, I'm in this space where I feel like I can't breathe. And I'm, and Davidson is a good 45 minutes away. And all of a sudden I can't breathe and I'm having a panic attack and my chest closes in on itself and I'm dizzy and I feel like I'm going to vomit and, and I'm hot and I'm sweating and I'm shaking and I don't know where I'm going and I have no idea what time it is and I don't, you know, who is this person, you know, and she would not talk to me. I tried to tell her, please turn the heat down. She had this terrible elevator R&B music, you know, and like it was just, it was this culmination of like my senses overload. And the thing that saved me from totally losing my shit was my breathing, which Mm. is crazy to say that because I'm not one of those hippy dippy people who's like, let's do some breath work. You kind of were raised by one though. I was totally raised by one, (laughs) but I'm not that person at all. (laughs) You know, especially, you know, it's like when you're in labor and they're like, let's do some breath work to work out the pain. I'm like, give me some drugs. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to breathe. I don't want to. I want drugs, you know, and so, um, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just not that person. Um, but you were right then. I was exactly. It totally saved my life. I breathed in for four and I held it for two and I let it out for four and I literally counted that breath work the entire ride and it helped, helped me to lower my heart rate, to stop shaking, to stop freaking out, to mm-hmm take me somewhere else besides that space to help manage my fear. Um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I'm a total convert now. Um, you know, I, I truly am. And so we make it to Davidson and they open the door and the nurse was kind and she held my hand and she pat my, you know, petted my hair and, um, was just so nice to me and led me inside and talked to me like I was a human. Mm-hmm. Where the past 12 hours I had been treated inhuman, completely inhuman. Um, and I think that's what scared me the most, you know, was n- not feeling like I was going to be heard or seen or cared for and scared that I was never going to make it out of that place. And so, you know, telling somebody – you know, I don't hear voices and then then drugging you anyway. Like, that's crazy. That's mm-hmm. crazy. And so I get to Davidson and um, they check me in and it's such a different experience. It's a brand new facility. So everything is clean. The rooms are... The lights work. Yes. They're not flickering. <laughs> and then everybody is kind. And there's inspirational quotes on the walls and on your door. And the room is is warmer and kinder and the bed has, you know, actual sheets on it and pillowcases and you've got your own little bathroom and you start to slowly feel like a human being again. And I stayed there for five days and it was amazing. It was, um, (laughs) it was exactly what I needed to save my life. Um, it was five days where I didn't have to make breakfast or cook dinner or answer emails or um, justify my actions or what I wanted or what I needed. I didn't have to take care of anybody else. I didn't have to talk to anybody else if I didn't want to for five days. I ate when I wanted to. I slept when I wanted to. And I got to see a psychiatrist twice a day, which was amazing. To actually talk to a psychiatrist, not just a therapist, 
Now, therapists are amazing, but to talk to a psychiatrist who could prescribe you the right medications, Mm -hmm. that was the game changer for me. To talk to somebody who was like looking at what I was currently taking and was like, I'm not sure that this is right for you anymore. Let's adjust this. Let's add that. Um, Obviously, they did not put me on the antipsychotics. He was like, whoever prescribed this to you, this is, this is, you know, not okay that they Mm -hmm. gave this to you. Clearly, this was not something that you needed. No, they just needed you to not give him a problem. Right. He was really upset about it. Um, Good. And, yeah, I know. Yeah, it felt nice to feel like I wasn't the only one who was like, uh, that's not okay, you know. So, yeah, I went into, I had group therapy every day. Um, Met some very interesting characters there. Um, Spent a lot of time just kind of resetting and talking to my psychiatrist and figuring out why, what happened did and why did I have this breakdown and what can I do differently and how, how is it going to be different when I get out? How am I going to change my life so this doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. You know, spending a lot of time trying to figure that out with him and talk with him about what happened and, um, it was, it was incredible. It was exactly what I needed. It was still scary because, you know, you're still in this foreign place with foreign people and you're not. And I didn't see my kids. And I Ranko came and visited and wrote down his new phone number, which was helpful. He figured out where I was. And <laughs> um, he showed up with clothes for me and, and um, you know, was terrified, you know, that this was happening to me. My mom came and stayed with Ranko and helped with the kids and stopped by to see me. Um, and that was hard. They brought Lucas, which was really hard for me to see him and only see him for a few minutes and then have him leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told you before that I was, um, I was really involved in the LGBT community. So one of the things that I've done in the community is um, I'm an officiant. So I've married a lot of same-sex couples here in the area. And um, what we call here day one is the day, is the first day that marriage equality was legalized in North Carolina. I was down at the Register of Deeds, and I married 17 couples in one day. It was amazing. So one of those couples that I married, um, I had stayed in touch with, um, and we had become friends. And I did not realize that he was one of the managers on my floor. So when I saw him, I had a total panic attack because no one knew I was there. You didn't want people to know you were there. No. It's humiliating. And it shouldn't be humiliating. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It's infuriating that it is. Yes. But you're you're there in scrubs and no makeup. Your hair is not done. You know, there's no. It is the opposite of being an influencer on Instagram. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Like, you're not taking pictures in the sepia tones of your right. he- your hospital room. Right. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. You're not Instagramming your breakfast on a hospital tray. Right. Come on. <laughs> exactly. No. <laughs> there is none of that. And so he, um, he obviously knew that I was there, right, because he was the manager on the floor. But when I saw him, I had a total panic attack. And one of the group therapists was able to talk me down. And he was like, look, you don't have to see him if you don't want to. But if you want to, he's here, you know. And so he ended up coming in my room, and um, he and his husband are just the sweetest, most wonderful people. 
But he talked to me for a long time about his own struggles with uh, suicidal uh, thoughts and attempts and depression. And it was this amazing experience that I had shared with him. Um, He was really the first person that I had really talked to about it and about what I was going through. Um, it was, it was very freeing to be able to talk about it mm-hmm. with somebody who wasn't a psychiatrist. Right. Because it was almost like admitting that you had a problem. Like you could admit it to a psychiatrist because you almost feel like it's very natural for me to talk to a psychiatrist about all the ways I'm fucked up. But to talk to it about, uh, to someone who is a uh, everyday regular person is almost like admitting that you have a problem. And right. it's like, it's, it was a really That's very big deal. vulnerable very vulnerable to do that. Yes. Very. Yes. So I did. I spent five days just really considering what my life had been up to this point. Why, why did I make the choices? Why did I choose to live life this way? What was it about being this mother influencer and this great big, you know, boss babe and, you know, always looking successful and perfect and, you know, just what was it about those things that attracted me? And why did I think that it was real? Why did I think that it was important for it to be real, you know? So September 17th through the 22nd um, were the days that I were there. I celebrate every year. And um, I got out and Ranko came to pick me up. And you almost, when you're in a mental facility, if it's a good one, you feel like you're in this really safe bubble. And at least for me, I did. I felt like I was able to heal because I'm in this really safe space where Mm -hmm. all I have to do is think about me. Right. And then you get back in the real world and you're a mom again and you're a wife again and you're a friend again. And and you have all of these responsibilities Mm -hmm. that are still waiting for you when you get out. And I freaked out, and um, Yoranko freaked out, and we just got in this huge fight. We got in this massive fight because he was so scared that he was going to lose me, and he had caregiver's fatigue, and he was, you know, it's all these emotions that just boiled up, right, right, between both of us. And it wasn't that he was angry with me. He was scared, and I was scared about how I was going to reenter the world, you know, and what was I going to do? And in the meantime... I'm in the hospital. Um, let me back up a little bit um, because, by the way, I didn't go to work for a week, right? And so, <laughs> I was say, and so what happened to your bitch boss? Yeah. So right. So, um, so I didn't show up for work right that day that I broke down, and um, my boss and Ranko had been in touch. Ranko called and let them know, hey, Jessie's in the hospital and she's going to be gone for a week. Well, what hospital is she in? What happened? Well, you don't need to know that. You just need to know that she's in the hospital. And she kept badgering him over and over and over and over. And he finally was like, she's in the mental hospital. She's in the mental hospital. And she had the audacity to fucking send me flowers to the fucking mental hospital. <laughs> I know. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? God, You're... I just want to like throat punch this woman. Oh my God. She's the worst. And get better soon. <laughs> That's what from mental illness oh, it's forever you dummy God, and you were part of the problem <laughs> and so i i left the flowers there i was like i'm not taking these fucking things thrown them in the garbage no i was like i do not want these i mean you can't take them to your room anyway right because you it could you know potentially be used to harm Stab yourself, yourself with right the flower. yeah right right yeah break the vase or something but it was um yeah so she essentially sent you flowers you couldn't she doesn't even know <laughs> 
She doesn't even know you can't even take them back to your room. She doesn't even think, she's, oh, yeah, she's, they could totally break this vase and cut themselves with glass. She's, what a dummy. She's the worst. So, um, basically, Wrangle let them know that I wasn't going to be coming back. But Ever? Yeah. Okay. But I had to still formally quit on my own, which was so, so hard. Because you had to I go had, into the office to do it? You couldn't just call and be like, bye? I did. And she kept forcing me to come back and, like, drop off keys and get whatever shit that I had left there, like, at my desk and stuff. And I kept telling her, can Ranko do it? Can Ranko come? No, you need to come. You need to sign this and that. And you need to bring the keys. We need to see you do it. Like, there was no humanity or kindness at all from her. There was none of that. It was very – she was just being a complete cold bitch. Mm-hmm. And I, so I did. I came early in the morning before anybody else showed up. I let myself in, got all my stuff, left all the keys on her desk, and left. I never came back. And – um my boss, my well, not my boss, the founder, um, who I was basically working for, was very ill in the hospital with cancer, but sent me a really sweet message because he was never part of the problem. Mm-mm. Never. And he was lovely. And he and his wife were amazing people, kind, wonderful people. Um, sent me this really lovely message. And his wife, actually, she unfortunately passed away recently um but she we kept in touch over the past four years of just and she's just full of kindness and warmth and empathy and so what it really was not them at all it was this woman and her direct influence in my life and then and then my own my own really unrealistic expectations of myself and what I was going to be in this world and the kind of you know, mom, friend, wife, community leader, whatever, and um, feeling like I was just failing all the time. And so I just decided to say, fuck it. I'm done. I'm done. <sighs> I am done having these expectations. I am done trying to live this glamorous life. I am I am just done. I'm going to live a simple, easy life. I'm going to say no to a lot of things. <laughs> I'm going to cut a lot of people out, which I did. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. It feels so good. And you, you brought know? people back. I did. <laughs> I definitely was I I and I I have to say this that when I've I've talked about this um a little bit. I talked about it in my writing class recently, which is why this is also raw and I'm back in therapy and I relapsed a little bit recently. <laughs> um because it's all been really raw um from writing about it, but a friend of mine who I love dearly said um when I read your piece, she was in the writing class with me. Um, she said, I couldn't help but think, God, you're, you're so lucky that you could, you, you could have a breakdown because I can't have a breakdown. I don't have anybody there to take care of my kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought about that for a long time about the privilege of being able to have a breakdown and to be able to take those five days and know that my kids are safe, they're healthy, they're taken care of and I can go and take care of myself. And that you're the, you know, I hate saying this, but you're the kind of person that gets sent to Davidson. Yes. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. And I've been thinking a lot about that recently. Um, the absolute privilege that comes along with being able to do that, being able to have that, have that breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I, it was a choice. I don't wake up and say, all right, today, I'm like I said, I'm not going to lose my mind today. But, you know, I there was that moment when she said that, that I was like, God damn, she's right. You yeah. know, I, the, I think that uh, 
it needs to be addressed how much moms are put on this unex- unattainable pedestal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we can't get off it mm-hmm. for fear of falling from a height that we'll never recover from. Exactly. Yeah. It's insane. And especially this past year, I think it's been like, you know. Yeah. Everyone's like, wow, moms do a lot. It's like, we've been doing a lot yeah. for a long time. The whole fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, yeah. And, and I think it's given, um, at least from a working mom's perspective, a lot of our bosses, I think, finally have some insight into how much we handle. Right. And how much we juggle. And, um, I mean, there, there are so many things that I want to do now in terms of maternal mental health and making it better for moms. One of them was starting this podcast. Right. Right. And giving, um, just being really super n- naked and raw, raw and vulnerable about my own mental health struggles, um, to let other moms know that it's, you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And then also eventually I really, you know, something I would love to do is like enact legislation for, you know, much longer maternity and paternity leaves and to make mm-hmm. mental health, um, resources accessible for everybody. It's expensive to go to therapy. It shouldn't be. It is it sh- expensive. It should not be expensive to go to therapy. Um, you know, making those resources available for, for moms, um, and changing the whole conversation and narrative that, that is being told about motherhood, you know, and, um, you know, I think the whole reason that I, when I was making the cover art for the podcast, <laughs> the whole reason that I chose Betty was because I feel like she's the epitome of what, of like the motherhood influencer in the fifties, right? Like, right, right. you know, like this whole like persona of perfection has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years for for women and mothers, right? And we're supposed to do it all and have a smile on our face, right? And right. we're supposed to just bootstrap our way through life, you know? And, well, that's how my mom did it and your mom did it and her mom did it. So that's how you're going to do it too. No. It's not okay. And we need to change that narrative and we need to change the way that we address mental health. And yes, it's great to have a positive perspective on life. And it's we need to. We need to say, yes, there are good things that happen. Yes, I have a roof over my head. Yes, I'm, you know, I have food in my refrigerator. My kids are healthy. You know, those things I I am so thankful for. But we also need to normalize saying, God, this is fucking hard. Mm -hmm. This is so fucking hard and I'm exhausted. And some days I hate my kids. And some days I hate being a mom. And some days I just want to run away. We have to normalize that. So moms don't end up like I did, thinking, if you have those thoughts... You're not worth being alive. There's no worthy. Exactly. You're not worthy. And that's where we are right now with Mm -hmm. motherhood. And I think that's... That's my mission is to put that out there and say, you are worthy. This is fucking hard. It is. Sometimes it fucking sucks. And sometimes you just want to yell, fuck. Yep. And you know what? kids are jerks. If you're, oh, just because I'm a mom and a wife and a girl doesn't mean that I can't say fuck. No. My God. Or drink bourbon on the rocks. Thanks Um, very much. Holla, yes. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I really feel like your story is going to speak to so many women. It spoke to me. I have. I, I had I haven't had that same experience, but I've had those days, especially yeah, yeah. yeah when real. when you're just like, how am I supposed to? It would be so much easier for everyone if I wasn't here, yeah. Because there wouldn't be two houses to pay for, right? You know, he's the better parent. They listen to him better, right? Uh, you know, nobody would have to deal with 
me being this like up one minute and down the next. Yes, and, totally. You know, right. Like, yeah. And I've been that way for about a month. I would say my mental health has been really, um, really on the rocks, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> and when I recently, I went to the doctor and um, had to get my annual refill for my medication. And when they print off your paperwork at the end, it said major depressive disorder before last year had said complete recovery. And this said, it said, um, what did it say? <sighs> it wasn't complete recovery. It was, <sighs> I can't think of the words. Anyway, basically relapse, partial relapse is what it said. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but that's okay. I can't, I'm never going to be hundred percent better all the time. And it's, I have to work every single day and take my meds every single day. Mm -hmm. And I have to put myself first sometimes, you know, which is, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this with you because it brings me joy and I have to. It brings me joy too. Yes. Good. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, and I hope it brings you joy listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Please don't, don't hesitate. If you have your own story to share, please do because you're not alone. Yeah. Whether it's about your own mental health or the really shitty bosses that you've had. Yeah. Because I've had a boss like that. Yeah. And it, it kills your like motivation. Mm Mm-hmm. And morale at yeah. work. Like, uh, why yeah. would I want to come to work where someone yells at me? Right, exactly. Why would I want to work for a company where that's allowed? Yeah. Why it, would I yes. put forth any effort for you? I do want to say, though, that six months later, she was fired. Good. So. <laughs> I just, bye. Bye. I just want to put it out there a little bit, you know. Um, you know. And, I had and, a, a similar experience with yeah. somebody that I hated at my old job and after I left. Yeah. She was fired. Yeah. So there you go. Karma. Yeah. It's a little (laughs) bit of karma. So I actually, um, after our first episode did have a couple moms reach out to to me um, through Instagram, through our DMs um, on my personal account Mm -hmm. and and say, you know, I would love to talk to you. I don't, I don't feel like I have anyone to talk to you about what I'm going through. And so um, I was glad that it was able to reach a couple people, and I hope it reaches more. Oh, me too. I hope it reaches everybody because I, I don't know that there's a mom out there that hasn't had a really bad day. Yeah. Or. A string of them. A string of them. Yeah. Or even, you know, went ahead and gotten themselves committed. I mean, I yeah. have said it. Yeah. Yeah. I've told their dad. I'm like, I could yeah. use a break. Yeah. And it sucks. It, it took all of that. Right. It's like, wow, wouldn't it be great to just kind of like trip and fall down the stairs so I can go to the hospital for a few weeks. Right. That's not an okay thought to have. I know. Like normal people don't think about hurting themselves so that they can get a break. I thought about that too to get my go ahead and get my tubes tied so I can right. have three days in the hospital you know, to I recover. I have major abdominal surgery on my lady yeah, parts. Right. So I can get my. So that I can have a few days off. Right. Exactly. There's visiting hours and then I can be by myself for three days and just recover. And I know. It's insane that we think about these things, but it's so true. Oh, my God. It's so true. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right. Well, um, so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, we've told our stories of the week. I told my really long story. It wasn't long. It was a beautiful story. Thank you. I really appreciate listening to that one. It was good. Thank you. And um, so next week I will be interviewing... Miss Beth over here. (laughs) We're going to hear your story and your side of things. I'm excited about that. Um, And don't forget, guys, that um, we'd we'd love for you to subscribe and rate us Mm -hmm. because that's how we survive. That's how we survive. And um, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, and we're Twittering now. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We're figuring it out. I'm doing research. <laughs> or Twittering. <laughs> We're the most active on the IG. Yes. Most um, active there. Yes. You can see our beautiful shining faces and and hear us and we'll do some yeah. more lives and, and congratulations again to Lisa with the good girl for winning our giveaway last week. Yes. That exciting. That basket the mail. was amazing. That, that gift basket was hella yeah. cool. We'll yes. do some more. Yeah, we we'll totally will. More. So, all right guys, but we love you and thanks for listening and I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. See you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye.